0: morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, thank you for coming out this morning. I know you'd all probably still like to sleep in bed a little later, but I thank you for being here. Um, we've got a, a message today that um, is going to leave you with a lot of questions, I'm sure. Welcome to our Facebook family, welcome to live stream, and so we've got a lot to cover this morning. I want to dig right in But before we do, I just want a little plug for the karaoke night. We really did have a blast last time we did this. Whether you can sing or you can't sing, and Pete and Paul are perfect examples of that. Come and sing. You're going to have a great time. You really are. It was wonderful. Um, It's a mixture of, of Christian music, a mixture of all types of music, and so there's got to be something on there that you've sung in the shower, you sing in your car. So come on out turning your bibles well hang on a second we haven't done a convergence of prophecy update in a very long time and so we're going to have one this morning the lord really impressed upon my heart that this is the perfect time to do this because we're in revelation chapter 6 and of course that is the very beginning of the tribulation and so one of the questions we asked last week was why Is the tribulation necessary? Why will there be a tribulation? And one of the conclusions that we came to was that it's a cleansing of the earth from sin and from wickedness. This will not be the first time God has had to cleanse the earth from sin and wickedness. It happened back in the days of Noah. And Jesus pointed us to that very event in history to tell us that that would be it would be the same way on earth when he just before he comes as it was in the days of Noah. So Jesus gave us a very important clue. And we need to look at that clue and see how it fits in with Bible prophecy today, how it relates to Bible prophecy, and does it speak of the day that we live in today. Now, please bear in mind that it's not just one prophecy we look at that determines or gives us an idea of where we're at on the prophetic timeline. It's a convergence of all of the prophecies, which we're seeing all around us. And, and that's why Bible Bible teachers, prophecy teachers especially, are getting excited about what we're seeing. It is an exciting time to live in. It's, a, it's really, we're here for such a time as this, right? And I think what we're going to uncover this morning is the last piece of evidence that really... Shows us that we are the final generation, that we are living in the last days. And you're going to hear some technical terms this morning that you may never have heard before, or maybe you have heard them. Terms like eugenics, CRISPR, post humanism, transhumanism, chimera, epigenics, and genetic modification. Now, those words sound futuristic, don't they? They sound like they're right off the pages of a science fiction magazine. But they're not. They're actual scientific terms being used in scientific procedures today. And believe me, the more I researched this, the stranger it got. What you're going to hear this morning may sound fantastical. may even be hard to believe for some of you. But Jesus pointed us to this very time and said it would be just like this, as it was in the days of Noah prior to his second coming. And so I believe that final piece of evidence of what Jesus was speaking of is found right in Genesis chapter 6. So to begin this prophecy update this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 24. And while you have your finger on Matthew 24, flip over to Luke 17 and hold on to that as well. We're going to look at verses in both of those chapters. Lord, we just pray this morning, As we dig into your word, I pray for understanding. I pray, Lord, that you'd open the eyes and the hearts of all those who hear this message this morning. And, Lord, I pray that you'd speak directly to us so that even though there's a lot of scientific terms going to be put out here this morning, I pray that people, even with our limited understanding of this, can perfectly understand it and walk away here with a greater understanding of the times that we live in. So go before us today, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen. So Matthew 24, if you're there. Beginning in verse 37, now Jesus says this right after he says no one knows the day or the hour. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now please flip over to Luke 17. We're going to look at verses 26 through 30. Jesus also says to his disciples, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, They sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus gives us the clues to know when his return is close. The days we live in will be like the days of Noah's time. And likewise meaning the same as it was in Lot's day. Now, I ask you, if Jesus tells us that just prior to his return, the days that we're living in will be like the days of Noah, wouldn't it behoove us to know what the days of Noah were like? To have a better understanding of just how close we are to his return? Now, fortunately for us, we don't have to look any further than these gospel messages and the book of Genesis to figure what it was like in the days of Noah. So please turn now with me to Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. We're going to read... I'm going read a lot of scripture today. What's, what's up about that? I mean, this is a church. Genesis 6, verses 1 through 8. What did I say? You heard 8. What I said was 6. I'm going to read from the NSB translation because they translate a word here in the original Greek that you need to hear. All right, everybody there? Genesis 6, not 8. I'm going uh, now. It came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came in the daughter came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and the thoughts of his heart were only con- evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, From man to animals, the creeping things, and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. All right, if you would, turn over to Genesis 18. We're just going to look at one verse in Genesis 18. Who would have ever thought you'd have to read scripture in church? Genesis 18, verse 20. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. In fact, their sin was so prevalent that the Lord said, if there were just ten righteous in those two cities, I'll spare them. And as it turns out, there were only three righteous. Four, if you count the salt lick. One who was turned into a salt lick, I should say. Now turn over one chapter to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to look at verse 13. Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, However, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them. He baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called the lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relations with them. And then look down at verse 13. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcries become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So these accounts in Matthew 24, Luke 17, Genesis 18, Genesis 19, Genesis 6, tell us what it was like in those days. And so we're going to go through each one of these so you have an idea and outline of what it was like. In the days of Noah... They were eating and drinking and enjoying life. That's Matthew 24, verse 38. They were marrying. They were given into marriage. They were planning for the future. Also, Matthew 24, 38. They had no clue of the judgment that was about to befall them. Matthew 24, 39. Now, the final generation of our day is going to react the very same way. The sons of God noticed the daughters of man. Genesis 6, verse 2. God had given them time to repent. But their time was running out, Genesis 6 3. There were Nephilim on the earth, Genesis 6, verse 4. Sons of God had children with the daughters of man, Genesis 6, verse 4. The wickedness of man was great on the earth, Genesis 6 5. The thoughts of his heart were evil continually, Genesis 6 5. Their hearts, God's heart rather, was grieved, Genesis 6 6. And God said he would destroy the earth. Genesis six verse seven. So that's what it was like in the days of Noah and I know you have questions, but bear with me. We're going to search out all these clues before we get to the evidence. How was it in the days of Lot? Well, they were eating and drinking as well. They were enjoying their life. Luke seventeen, twenty eight. They were marrying and giving into marriage. They're planning for the future, right? Luke seventeen twenty eight. They bought, they sold, they were preparing. Luke 17:28 They planted, they made sure they had provisions. They they built. They were building a life here for themselves on this earth. Luke 17:28 and they had they also had no clue of the appending judgment that was going to come upon them. Luke 17:29 The sin in the land was exceedingly great. Genesis 18:20 There was rampant homosexuality. Genesis 19:5 and God said he was going to destroy both of those cities, Genesis nineteen thirteen. Now, the reason these verses are so important in Bible prophecy is because Jesus said that it was like these time periods. It will be just like that before he returns. Now, we could argue, and we're going to argue here this morning, that these conditions described here have been present throughout the ages, haven't they? People have always married been given into marriage for centuries. Men's hearts have always been wicked throughout the ages, from the torture and the Crusades to the Spanish Inquisition to Hitler and the Final Solution. Man's heart has been wicked. The sins of the days of Lot was rampant homosexuality, and you could also argue that that's been a sin for centuries, right? From the Greeks to the Romans to today, there has been homosexuality, and as, and as accepted and as commonplace as it is was then, it is today. People have also been hearing and listening to messages just like this, that this is the end, that we're the final generation, that Jesus is coming back for centuries. So what makes us think, because we're special, that we're the final generation? What's the evidence contained in these passages of Scripture that lead us to believe that we are the final generation? Well, for one thing, Israel had to become a nation because the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. And that did not happen until May 14, 1948, right? So we couldn't go, the tribulation couldn't even begin until that date. So discover what the clue is, which lead me and others to believe that we are absolutely the final generation We're going to look at Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, just a little closer. So if you would turn there one more time. Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, verse 4, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Can you just hit that light up there, please? This is a very strange passage of Scripture, isn't it? I mean, there's some terms in here that are just jump right out at you. We have to take it literally because it's the voice of God speaking the word of God to us. Okay, So we have to take what God says literally here. And the fact that Jesus points us to this very passage of Scripture when he says it will be like this in the land just prior to his return, it makes us ask ourselves, well, what's happening now that was happening then that makes us think we're the final generation? What happened then that caused God to bring the judgment upon the world with the flood? And what would be happening now that would cause God to bring judgment through the tribulation upon the earth today? To answer that, or the answer to that, I believe, is found right here in these first four verses of Genesis 6. The phrase, the sons, sons of God, is the first phrase we're going to look at. In Hebrew, that's b'nei Elohim, and that refers to angels. These are angels. We see that in Job chapter 1, verse 6, in Job chapter 2, verse 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And when we were in Job, we discovered that these were angels, right? Again in Job chapter 38, verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So the sons of God are angels. But look at what they're doing. They're checking out the daughters of man. Now that's the daughters of Adam in the Hebrew. So we're talking about human females. These are angels marrying them. Okay. Now if you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking, are they marrying guys in white robes with big wings? And I doubt that, but it also leads us to another question. Can, can angels take the form of man? Well, we just read a verse in Scripture that tells us they can, but there's more. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 2. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. Now, we know that the two of them were angels, and one of them was the pre-incarnate Christ. At the empty tomb... The women encountered angels. While they were perplexed about this thing, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. So angels are clothed. They're able to eat. They're able to talk. They're able to walk. They look just like men. So angels can, in fact, appear as a man. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us, do not forget to entertain strangers because what? In so doing, you may unwittingly entertain an angel. Now, if the angel was in white robe and with wings, you'd certainly know you were entertaining an angel, wouldn't you? So let this sink in for a moment. Angels were marrying human women. Okay? Now, you may think that would be a marriage made in heaven, right? But you'd be mistaken. This was a marriage straight from the pit of hell. Now, the next clue we're given is the Nephilim. Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterwards. So when the sons of God came, to the do- came into the daughters of men and created children, bore children with them. God's telling us that the sons of God are angels, but they're fallen angels. They're Nephilim, because that name Nephilim is, consist- has a, is consisted of two words, a compound word. Nephil means to fall or to be cast down. So the Nephilim are fallen angels. The prophet Isaiah recorded, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, speaking of Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations, Isaiah 14, 12. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Luke 10, 18. And John saw a third of the angelic beings fall from heaven to earth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Revelation 12, verses 3 through 4. Those stars are angels. So we know from scriptures that there were some angels who stayed faithful to God, but there was at least a third of them who turned away from God and followed Satan. They're called the fallen ones or the Nephilim, so these fallen angels were on the earth in the days of Noah, influencing and corrupting mankind. And they are still here today doing the very same thing, influencing and corrupting mankind. But please don't miss what's going on here. These Nephilim, these fallen angels, are having relations with them, with human women and there's offspring being born to them. Now let me ask you a question. If you had a human woman mate with an angel, what would that offspring be? It wouldn't be human. It would be a hybrid, wouldn't it? Part angel, part human. But it certainly would not be a human as we know a human today. So what would that look like? Well, we get the answer in the last part of this passage of Scripture, verse 4. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. In Hebrew, they're called the Hagibarim the mighty ones. And we see them in scriptures as giants in the land. When David went to the stream, he took how many stones out of that stream? Five. How many giants were there? So we used to think that David just wanted extra ammo in case he missed, right? Goliath had four brothers. There were giants in the land. When, now Goliath was in Godzilla tall. He was about nine foot six inches tall, which was a giant at that time and who certainly would be a giant today. I'd certainly like to have him on our basketball team. Before Joshua entered the promised land, the spies went in, right? What did they see? Giants in the land. And they said we are like grasshoppers before them. So they were even bigger than Goliath. So I want you to get this straight because I want this embedded in your brain. Fallen angels were sleeping with human women having hybrid babies who became giants in the land. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I didn't say it. I didn't write that in there. God did. And Jesus pointed us to it for a very specific reason. Do we have other verses in Scripture that support this? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Jude verses 6 through 7. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth that is an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude records that there were angels who left their abode or their habitation. In the Greek that word means body. So there were angels who left their form of an angel, came in the form of a man, and went after strange flesh like in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the strange flesh in Sodom and Gomorrah was man on man. The strange flesh in the days of Noah were angels and human women. Peter wrote, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for the judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness. And see, here's where we know that Noah preached during that whole 120 years. He was preaching to the people. He was preaching salvation. Bringing in the flood of the world on the world of the ungodly. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-5. through So Peter says the angels who sinned. They're the fallen angels, the fallen angels who slept with the daughters of men in the days of Noah. Now, we know that there's a third of the angels that fell from heaven, right? They had sinned against God by rebelling against him. But God has not dealt with them yet. They're still here. These angels, however, who slept with the daughters of man, God must have considered them a greater threat to mankind. So they were put into hell, or some translations say Tartarus. You may have Tartarus in your Bible. That's not the Tartarus you have on your teeth, it's someplace different. Tartarus is a very special place. It's a holding cell of sorts, apparently, and it means, in the Greek, it means a dark abode of woe. So these fallen angels were handled differently than the other fallen angels. Now, you could say that Tartarus is sort of like a maximum security prison for angels. So Noah and his family were a remnant of the people on earth whose bloodline had remained pure or who did right in the eyes of God, had not turned their back on God. So, okay, as hard as this is to understand and and maybe even hard to believe for some of you, how does this affect us today? What bearing does the days of Noah have on the time that we live in today? So to sum this up so far... There is evil, the same evil in the world exists today as it did in the days of Noah. Agreed? But there's a piece of evidence that really puts us in the days of Noah, the hybrid animals. Hybrid humans, rather. And yes, that is happening today. Here's the evidence. What was going on in the days of Noah is going on today. And yes, I am referring to hybrid humans So don't leave yet, just hear me out. It all began with something called the Human Genome Project, ever hear of it? And I'm going to make this as simple as possible because I'm not a scientist and I don't think most of you are scientists. But on October 1st, 1990, an international team of researchers came together to sequence a map of the genes known as the genome of the human species. They called it the Human Genome Project. They finished this mapping sequence in April of 2003. So the Human Genome Project gave them the ability for the very first time in the history of man to read nature's complete genetic blueprint for building a human being. Did you hear what I just said? They have the complete genetic blueprint to build a human being. Since that, there have been some frightening advancements, if you want to consider them advancements in science. One of these so-called advancements you're probably all familiar with today, and it's called genetic modification or genetic manipulation. Now we're most familiar with this process in what? Our food, right? They've genetically modified just about everything. most commonly, it's used to genetically modify our food to keep it from rot and from decay. It also helps um, yield greater yields of crops. But this process is spilled over into our meat supply as well. China and North Korea have experimented this with this with pigs, making them bigger and meatier, super pigs. They've also done this with cows for beef production, and chickens to help them lay more eggs and produce more meat. Now, i got to warn you, some of these slides are pretty disturbing to look at, so I want you to be prepared, but they're altering the genetic makeup of the food that we're eating. And you have to wonder what we're doing to ourselves by eating this, right? But that's only the beginning. Crops, plants, animals is just where it all begins. It's spread to human experiments as well. Does that surprise you? Now, I want to introduce you to some new technological terms Transhumanism, which suggests that humans can transcend or evolve beyond what current physical and mental limitations you have by means of science and technology, meaning you can be better, faster, younger, stronger than is humanly possible today. Posthumanism in simple terms is currently a hypothetical future, and I don't know how much longer it's going to remain hypothetical. Future being whose capacities are so so radically exceed those of present humans as to no longer to be considered a human by our current definition. Now, you don't have to look very far to see where this is going with Marvel superheroes, right? Like the Hulk and, and Captain America and Thor and so on. Sometimes life imitates art, doesn't it? cloning. You guys have heard of cloning before. There was a sheep that was made very famous called Dolly, right? Did you know that Dolly had sisters? Did you know that the cloning did not end with Dolly? Do you know that they now clone cows and horses and sheep and dogs and cats, although God knows why they would ever want more cats on the earth. But these animals, amen, are cloned from cells of the donor animal and then implanted in a host animal and that animal gives birth to a cloned animal. They're not conceived naturally making them hybrids of the original, doesn't it? Now here's an excerpt from Business Insider Magazine for July of this year of this year. Listen closely We've been able to clone human embryos for about seven years But as far as we know, key, no one's actually cloned a whole person. I wonder how many parts of a person they've cloned. Turns out ethics aren't the only thing holding scientists back. Cloning isn't the scientific marvel we think it is. It could be dangerous, often ineffective. So the current feeling, especially in the U.S., is that we're not cloning humans but that doesn't apply to other countries who don't have the same Christian-Judeo ethics that we have currently. Here's another term you may be familiar with, but you may have heard of this part of Greek mythology, and that's a chimera. In the simplest of terms, a chimera is two different cells placed in a single host or organism. Now, I'm going to read you an article out of MIT, which is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. A chimera contains the cells of two or more individuals, or an animal and a human, or two animals. It states, the technique for making chimeras involves injecting human embryonic stem cells into a days-old embryo of another species. The hope is that the human cells will grow along with the embryo adding to it. Because monkeys are genetically closer to humans, it is possible that such experiments could now succeed could could now succeed to give the human cells a better chance of taking hold, scientists also use gene editing technology to disable the formation of certain types of cells in the animal embryos. So did you know that that currently, today, now, and this has been going on for a while, they are implanting human cells into animals, growing ready-made human organs. You're going to see a mouse on the screen with a human ear protruding from its back. So we implant a human ear cell into the mouse. The human ear grows, and the day you need that ear, it has your cell and your DNA. Well, they've also done this with pigs. They'll take heart cells and implant them in a sow. Genetically modified pig, not the, the bacon that you had this morning, but this is a genetically modified pig designed just for this purpose. They'll put your heart cells in this pig, and when you're ready, when you need that heart, it will be taken from the pig, and given to you but is that real is this really a real ear is it really a real human heart or is it a hybrid after all it grew inside of a pig so I'm going to introduce you now to another term called CRISPR and no it's not the draw on your refrigerator that keeps your lettuce fresh it's an acronym for clustered regularly interspace short palindromic repeats Can you guys repeat that back to me It's just a lot easier to say CRISPR, and that's why they use it. In short, CRISPR is a gene editing tool, kind of like splicing a movie, a film film editor, right? He splices out parts of a movie and inserts parts of a movie. That's what CRISPR is. Only CRISPR splices out undesirable DNA sequences and splices in more desirable DNA sequences. And by doing so, they can take a gene that will cause disease, therefore preventing that disease to grow in the human body. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I mean, no more cancer, no more cystic fibrosis, no more diabetes, no more MS, no more muscular, no more a lot of things. But here's the problem with CRISPR. It also is used to create designer babies. There will come a day when a young couple can sit in the geneticist's office and say, I want my baby to be six foot tall. I want my baby to have blonde hair. I don't ever want my baby to be bald. And you can design a baby, genetically modify that baby to your liking. With with CRISPR, it's possible to manipulate or modify the genetic structure of a human being inside an embryo. It's also possible to delay or even halt the aging process. Listen to to an article published in Medical News Today. The cells of our body take quite a beating throughout our lifetimes. Environmental factors such as ultraviolet rays, poor diet and alcohol, as well as psychological factors including stress are putting our cells at a risk of significant damage. These factors cause damage to the DNA in our cells, predisposing us to cancer and other diseases. Luckily, however, we have sophisticated biological systems to counteract this damage. One of these mechanisms, now he's referring so far as to mechanisms that happen naturally within our bodies. One of these mechanisms is involved in cellular aging, ensuring that individual cells live for a certain amount of time before dying. Telomeres they're called, are stretches of DNA and proteins at the ends of our chromosomes. Each time a cell divides, these stretches naturally get shorter. Once telomere length reaches a particular cutoff point, the cell becomes incessant, meaning that it can no longer divide and will subsequently die. So that process I just described to you is how we grow older. It's the aging process. Now, what if we could go into your cells and repair or replace that DNA in those cells? Your teeth wouldn't fall out. Your hair wouldn't fall out. You wouldn't weaken. Your muscle tone would increase instead of decrease. Sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, we could stop the aging process pretty much as long as you can afford the treatments. You could stay young forever. And believe me, they're working on being able to transplant heads and brains. Because eventually, if you don't do that, you're going to die. I remember seeing these movies when I was a kid, these science fiction movies. I thought, that's that's nuts. It was entertaining. The Island of Dr. Moreau. Well, somebody took that literally. Now, in case you're interested in this, clinical trials begin in mid-2020. So, you can get in on this if you want to look younger. Listen, this is not futuristic stuff. This is being developed and experimented with right now. This Field, this scientific field is growing exponentially. Have I lost anybody yet? Good. Now I'm trying to keep this, as I said, as simple as possible because I have a hard time understanding this myself. Now I'm going to add a very, another word to your vocabulary. It's called epigenics. epigenics. Epigenics is a process in which you can turn genes on and turn them off. Here's an, ex- an explanation from the we- a website called, What is Epigenics?, which I found very helpful. Epigenics makes us unique. Even though we're all human, why do some of us have blonde hair or darker skin? Why do some of us hate the taste of mushrooms or eggplants? Or liver? Why are some of us more sociable than others? The different combinations of gene that are, genes that are turned on and turned off is what makes each of us unique. Furthermore, there has been indications that some epigenics changes can even be inherited. Now, I want you to understand something that I just read, because I just, it just, the Lord just showed this to me as I'm reading this. This is intelligent design. We're not all the same, are we? We have different likes and dislikes because God made us that way by turning off those genes and turning on certain other genes. Well, epigenetics is reversible. With more than 20,000 genes, what will be the result of different combinations of genes being turned on or turned off? The possible arrangements are enormous, but if we could map every single cause and effect of the different combinations, and if we could reverse the gene state to keep the good while eliminating the bad, then we could hypothetically cure cancer, slow aging, stop obesity, and so much more. Now, epigenics does not change the DNA sequence like CRISPR does because it's designed to go on top of a DNA strand. That's what that word epi means in the Greek. It means to come upon, which basically means that you are turning on and turning off certain genes that God had turned on or turned off to change your behavior. And listen, I'm going to throw this out there, and we'll get into this closer when we get to the mark of the beast and things, but that's why some people are so very afraid of this vaccine because apparently... This is one of the things that scientists are looking at putting in a vaccine type of a thing, whether it's this one or something else, where they can actually change your disposition. They can make you more docile. If you're a a soldier, they can make you more aggressive. They could change your hair color. They could change your eye color. They could change your likes and dislikes. Now, since they use the term epi, which is a Greek term, I want to let you know what the enemy's goal is in this specific Type of technology. When the Holy Spirit indwells in us, it's the Greek preposition N, E N. When he comes upon us, it's the Greek preposition EPI, E P I. When he comes alongside of us, it's the Greek preposition Para, P A R A. We become a new creation when the Holy Spirit indwells in us, doesn't he? Our likes and our dislikes change because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and our living and applying the Word of God to our lives. Now we may not get new hair color, we may not get hair, we may not suddenly like to taste the liver, but we are changed from the inside out, aren't we? And that is exactly what epigenics seeks to do. The enemy is saying, I can offer you your best life now. I can make you younger, I can make you more sociable, I can make you a better person, not spiritually, But I can help you live your best life now and look better and younger and live your life more abundantly. That's what the enemy is offering us. But isn't that what Jesus said to us? That I will give you life and give it to you more abundantly, speaking of spiritual life? That's going to be appealing to a lot of people who do not know God. A lot of people who do not want to leave this earth, who want to look younger. And the enemy wants God's creation and has wanted God's creation all along to turn from our creator and turn to him. This has been his modus operandi from day one. I have one more scientific term for you. And there will be a test at the end of service today. Eugenics. Now you may have heard of eugenics before. This may not be a strange term. But I'm going to read you another MIT report. The birth of the first genetically tailored humans, yes, this has occurred, would be, stunning, would be a stunning medical achievement, both for Dr. He and China, but it will prove controversial too, where some see a new form of medicine that eliminates genetic disease, others see a slippery slope to enhancements, designer babies, and a new form of eugenics. So this article was Written in response to a surgical procedure that was performed on a set of twin embryos, live children, Lulu and Nana. They reportedly had their genes modified to make them less susceptible to the virus, the HIV virus, which causes AIDS. Why? I don't know. I guess just because we can, so they did. Epi- eugenics reading a definition for you is the study or of a belief of the possibility of improving the qualities of human species or the human population especially by such means as discouraging reproduction of by persons having genetic defects or presumed to have inheritable undesirable traits that's called negative eugenics or encouraging reproduction by persons perf- presumed to have inherited Inheritable desirable traits, positive eugenics. In other words, if you are born with a genetic malfunction, malformation, we can we don't want you mating with someone else for fear that they could be born the same way. We want a perfect human being. What does that sound like to you? It was tried before. Hitler created tried to create the master race, didn't he? Which would consist exclusively of Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, light-skinned Germans. And Hitler wanted them to be the strongest, most superior race of human beings ever. So he had his SS soldiers and his officers go into the towns that they occupied and find women who met that criteria for the master race. They would mate with these women, bring them back to Germany, and Hitler had about 20 houses set up where they would live in until the children were born. And when those children were born and were of adoptable age, they would be adopted out to German families to raise, right? Now, if a child didn't meet this criteria, he wasn't born with blonde hair and blue eyes, or he was born with an, uh, um, an admiral, ad- I'm looking for the word, admiral the right? Um, they were shipped off to concentration camps. They didn't want them. So, Just a side note, I believe Satan has had an Antichrist waiting in the wings for centuries. And I believe that Hitler was one of those Antichrists that Satan had hiding in the wings. But it just didn't turn out well for Satan. Once again, his plot was foiled. But Hitler tried to do through natural selection what science is attempting to do with genetics today. So what's the plan of the enemy all this? And how does it fit with Bible prophecy? The plan goes way back to the Garden of Eden. When God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. So between the seed of the woman, who is Jesus, and the offspring of that is us, the followers of Jesus, right? And the seed of Satan, which we always miss. There was another seed involved here. And that's the followers of Satan, including the Antichrist. And hasn't that been the case throughout the ages? Hasn't this proven true throughout the ages that the enemies, followers, have always caused trouble for the followers of Jesus Christ? Always? But Satan, knowing this prophecy, and he did know this prophecy because it was given to him as well as to man, has tried throughout the ages to thwart this, to put an end to this before it ever got off the ground. In the book of Genesis, he had fallen angels mating with human women, creating hybrid humans in an attempt to pollute the entire bloodline of human beings so that the Messiah couldn't possibly come through human. He tried it in the book of Esther when he enlisted the help of Haman to have the Jews in the land and throughout the world completely wiped out, didn't he? He attempted to kill the Messiah before the Messiah ever reached two years of age by having the Roman soldiers kill all the children to and below. And then he took one more shot at this with the Jewish leaders and the Roman cross to put an end to the Messiah. And we know how that worked out for him. None of his schemes have worked so far. He's failed miserably at every single one of them, so now he is attempting to create human hybrids once again by enticing humans to have their DNA genetically modified. Listen, our DNA code is what makes us what? Human. If you mess with that blueprint in any way, does that make you less human? I'm not a scientist. But in my mind, I'd have to think that would be true. That's exactly what was going on in the days of Noah. Satan was trying to be like God, which is no surprise. That's what he'd wanted all along. When he tried to create his own race of hybrid people, not fully human means they were not human at all. And so let me bring you back to that term that we learned earlier, post-humanism. Where humans are so genetically modified as to no longer be considered a human by our own current definition. That's not a biblical term or definition. That's a scientific definition. If you're no longer human, you no longer have a soul and you no longer can enter heaven. Do you see where he's going with this? The lie that Satan told Eve in the garden was that if she ate of that fruit, she would be like who? God. And he's still spreading that same lie. Scientists today believe they're like God. That they can create life. That they can create eternal life. Now they haven't gotten this all figured out yet. But they're working on it feverishly. Not just here but around the world. And believe me. We don't have enough time today to go 100% into this. Because this gets even weirder. Jesus came. Jesus says come to me. And I will give you life and give you more abundantly. Spirit-filled life. The enemy says, through these scientists, come to me and I'll give you a new life through science where you will never age. You'll live your best life now. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you eternal life. The enemy says, through these scientists, come to me and I'll offer you a way that you would never die. Where through scientific advancements you can live forever. Man is going to fall for this lie just as Eve fell for the lie in the garden. And I'm not just picking on Eve, because we know from Scripture that Adam didn't fall for the lie. Sorry, ladies. Adam didn't fall for the lie. Adam ate of the fruit and died for his wife. And so Adam is a picture, the first Adam is a picture of, uh, for us, of the second Adam who died for his bride, the church. The offspring of Adam, mankind, will fall for this lie as surely as Eve did, as the daughters of men did, and as the people in the land of Shinar fell for their leader who they lifted up as a godlike figure, Nimrod. The sin in the garden throughout the ages has been that man does not want to submit to God. They want to be like God. Now I enjoy the Marvel superhero movies as a lot of you probably do. And, and I enjoy them for their entertainment value. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's times when you're watching those movies where you're like, I'd love to have the strength that Hulk has, right? Or I'd like to be as fast as the Flash or, or as strong as Superman or could fly or, or, be, or be able to heal immediately like the Wolverine. And I know I'm mixing up all my movies here. But the point is that what if science could make you that strong? If you have time one day, look up DARPA. DARPA is is our military research facility. And look up super soldiers. Just for fun. Look it up. What if you could heal like the Wolverine heals? What if you could be like Superman? Now, those things are very appealing to us, aren't they? To some, they are. That would make you unstoppable, wouldn't it? That would make you like God. And that's the plan of the enemy. As for me, I'll gladly await for my new body and eternity with Jesus. I don't need to have heaven here on earth, separated from Jesus. I'm awaiting heaven with Jesus forever, with that new body. But listen, the enemy may offer you, and you may fall for this, he may offer you eternal life, and that seems to be what he's trying to do here. But the author of Hebrews said it is appointed to man to die once, And then the judgment. So no matter what the enemy offers you, the ultimate end result of this will be you are going to die. And then you will stand before the Lord in judgment. Now if you fall for this, and this could even add new meaning to the mark of the beast, couldn't it? Not only will you not be able to buy or sell if you do not have this mark, but we're going to throw in some perks with it. You're going to be able to be like the Hulk, or be like Superman, or be, or, or be able to heal instantly, or be whatever you want to be. Would you take the mark? Knowing, or maybe being deceived, maybe not knowing, that you will never enter heaven once you do. God used Noah in that day to warn the people that the judgment was coming. God had to wipe out what the enemy was doing. And once I explained this to you, now you know why Jesus has to come back. He cannot allow this to go on. He cannot allow this to get any further than where it's going. Noah preached that the only way to salvation was through the ark. Today God's using us, his followers, to preach Jesus and that the only way to salvation is through him and the cross. We are called to warn people of the coming judgment. Our message isn't enter the ark and be saved. It's come to the cross and be saved. And if you want to be saved from the judgment to come, then be forewarned that it is coming. The people in Noah's day paid no attention to these warnings. They believed that life was going to go on like this forever. When did they realize their mistake? When the water was at their ankles? Their knees? Their waist? Their waist? just below their chin? When will you realize that judgment is coming and that God means what he says and does what he says he's going to do? Please do not fall for the same deception that lulled those people in Noah's day into a false sense of security, thinking that life was going to go on just the way it is forever. Because just like it was in the days of Noah, science is trying to create hybrid humans just like the enemy did in the days of Noah. Now, if you can manipulate and change the DNA of an animal, if you can clone an animal, how much longer, and maybe it has even been done, as far as we know, clone a human being. Will they still be humans? Absolutely not. They will be hybrids, something less than a human. And a cloned human would not be human at all. And God's going to destroy this earth just as he did in in the days of Noah for the very same reason. In Noah's day, they attempted to create a race of superhumans that could live forever because angels are eternal. In effect, offering eternal life through Satan. Today, through science, is attempting to do the exact same thing. To offer humans eternal life by making us young forever through him. Therefore, he becomes like God, which is exactly what he's always wanted. So I encourage you to do your own research because you can find everything I spoke of this morning on the Internet through a Google search. And be prepared because it gets really weird. I know it's a lot to take in, but these scientific experiments place us right in the days of Noah. Noah. And it is the final piece of evidence that makes us, causes us to believe that we are, in fact, the final generation. And so knowing that, there's only one way to escape judgment. And that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's by coming to him. And so if you want to be rapture ready, because we believe that is imminent, that's the next thing that will happen. And it could happen in every moment. It might even happen before we finish here today. And maybe for some of you are hoping it happens before karaoke. But if you want to know the Lord, it's as simple as ABC. And the first is to admit A that you are a sinner. Admit that you've fallen short of the glory of God. As Romans 3:10 10, 10 tells us, as it is written there is none righteous no not one. Romans 3:23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as we said last week if if you believe that you're righteous that you're a good person, then you only have to look as far as the 10 commandments. Have you ever lied? And if you tell me you've never lied, you just lied to me. Have you ever stolen anything? And the example I used last week is, have you ever taken a paperclip or a pencil or anything home from work? If you didn't purchase that item yourself, you've stolen it. Now, I know you don't look at it that way, but God does. Do you see how hard it is to be good on your own? You've already broken two of the commandments. And the Bible says if you broke one, you've broken them all. You need to repent of that sin and turn to the Lord. And that's B, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave and is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Romans chapter 10 verses 10 through 11 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So once you admit you're a sinner, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus, then call upon Jesus. Call upon His name. Submit to Him. Surrender to Him. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you make that commitment to Jesus Christ today, surrender to Him, submit to Him, you will be saved. You will have life eternal. You will have life more abundantly through him. You may not get the color hair you want. You may not like liver. But you'll have life with Jesus for all eternity. Because whatever the enemy's offering is a lie. It's a lie right from the pit of hell. It will not last. And those who take the mark, those who are on this earth when Jesus comes, will be cast into hell. There is no easy way to look at that. There's no gray area. There's no second chances. This is your time now. Because listen, quite frankly, a lot of us are looking and hoping and and wanting the rapture to happen today. But for any one of us, you could die in the next moment. No one's guaranteed their next breath. So the time to come to the Lord is now. Don't wait another moment. God bless you. Lord, we just lift you up today. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for pointing us to what you've pointed us to, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for who you are. Go before us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen.